the reading today is from 2 Corinthians on page 1160. And we're reading um, from chapter 3, verses 1 to 7 initially, 1 to 6 initially, and then um, chapter 4, 5 to 11. So 1160. Chapter 3, beginning verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Chapter 4, verse 5. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, for ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this is all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death of Jesus Christ, for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Well, good morning. Uh, Last week, if you were here, we uh, kicked off a series on culture matters, and we used 2 Corinthians 10, the first five verses, to get into the subject where Paul reminds us that believers are in a battle. And the battle is in the realm of ideas. And the focus of our struggle, I suggested, is towards culture values. Culture values are the various ideas that humans put onto the world. And Paul reminds us that many of them function as pretensions word here is really counterfeits, that are set up by us against the knowledge of God, against knowing God. They're in conflict with that. And he says we live in the world, and to live in the world is to be under the bombardment of these kind of ideas. That we have to take captive to the mind of Christ. And when Christians take on culture values unthinkingly, and we start living by them, the New Testament says we become worldly. 
And to be worldly is to lose our distinctiveness, our differentness, which is exactly what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to track one of these down, and I think this is a biggie, maybe the big one. And it's self-belief, the message that comes through all over the place in our culture. Believe in yourself and be true to who you are. Now, this is foundational to one of the central worldviews of our time. This worldview is called humanism. It's based on the idea that God is dead, God doesn't exist. As Nietzsche reminded us, he was a German philosopher, he said in the 19th century, God is man's mistake. So we have to move on from that mistake. But that leaves the question, if God doesn't exist to believe in, who can we believe in? And the humanist answer is, we have to believe in ourselves. Humans are the center of everything. And that's why in the last hundred years, the self has kept expanding. And it's why we're committed to what I call a self-belief project. So that's the, ta- the, the culture value we're going to be tackling this morning. And it's huge. We can only scratch the surface of it. It's an outline, in a sense, to get you thinking. So what is self-belief? Well, it's a belief that says you have what it takes in you, within you, to achieve what you want. So inside of you is the potential to achieve what you want. And that power, or that belief, if you take it on, empowers you and gives you confidence to face challenges, to face problems, and to succeed. Now, self-belief is closely aligned with self-esteem. If you believe in yourself in the way that the creed goes, you need to cherish yourself. Really believe in yourself, you have to think, yes, I can do it. Now, like all culture values, there are some half-truths in the self-belief project. For one thing, it really works. The stuff this thing teaches is incredibly powerful. It works for us if we put it into practice. And that's why lots of therapies take it on. Lots of new spiritualities are premised in believe in yourself. It also highlights, I believe, helpfully the matter of self-esteem. Because for many of us, we lack self-esteem in the sense that we have very negative thoughts about ourselves. Many of you here this morning will have very negative thoughts about yourself. You'll be lacking in confidence, and that can be a very great hindrance to our lives. Now, the question for us as believers is, do we go the route of the self-belief project to bolster self-esteem, or is there another way, a better way? Now, the point I really want to bring home this morning is this. Self-belief works like a kind of religion. It's a religion of self. If you look at its structure, if you look at its content, you can detect a semi-sacred obligation to the self. And that's why it functions today like a kind of gospel. 
Now, the evidence of it being a religion, which is my contention, can be seen in the fact that it frequently employs the language of faith. I could give you lots of quotes, but one of the gurus simply says, self-belief means having faith or trust in yourself. Shannon Terrell talks about believing in yourself with unstoppable, unshakable faith. So the self-belief project talks about faith in yourself, like believers, Christians, talk about faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I believe this faith, this self-belief faith, has saturated our culture. It's permeated everything. It's like fish swimming in water. You're not aware of the water, but it's all around you. That's why it's important to grapple with this and to see it. If you go online and type in self-belief, your, your, your computer will just about explode. There are more prophets of this religion than all the other religions put together. And sadly, to the point of being distinct, much of the evangelical church has bought into this. And they have millions of followers. They write bestsellers. Your best life now. Seven steps to living at your full potential. Now to get a feel of what we're looking at this morning, I want to to play a brief Believe in Yourself promotion video. It has one of those annoying accents just like mine. Try and think past it. Let's watch it. There are a few things you just can't learn from a textbook that you have to live through, to see, to be fully entrenched in. Because here is a simple truth. This world is a tough place. Getting what you want, making the most of the time you have requires that you put yourself in the position to succeed. It means you see a finish line before one exists. Look, no one's ever going to call you and tell you how incredible your idea is. You can't build a business on potential or win a championship on promise. Results are binary. You either accomplished something or you simply did not. Right? That's it. That's what people see, the result. So that means every second, every step of the way from where you are right now until you cross the finish line depends on you and your thoughts. How you internalize failure, how you look at setbacks, when no one is around to pat you on the back or tell you how great you are, will you have enough self-belief to move forward? Because my friends, that's the hardest part. That's what no one talks about. Having the courage to wake up every single day of your life and know that you are building towards something incredible. You are creating a masterpiece from the ground up. And that means that when you're looking in the mirror, you believe in what's staring back at you. You see the unseen and you are willing to bring it to life. That is the foundation that you build greatness on. 
someone came in in the first service about halfway through that and thought, Fellows has lost his mind. What's he doing? (laughs) Now, there's lots we could pick out of that. It's very interesting. But I want to pick up the point I made a moment ago that the self-belief project operates as a faith commitment. And I want to break that down and contrast the faith commitment of self-belief with a faith commitment directed to Christ. So the faith that believes in yourself, it operates with two commitments. The first is this. You have what it takes to reach your full potential. It's all in you. And you have to go after the better version of yourself. And the only person, we just heard it, who can build that is you. So it's premised that there's tons of potential inside all of us. There's some truth to that. And the best you is deep inside. So just unlock it and let it out. Now that begins with a very solid faith in you. The foundation of this faith is your inner potential. So believing in yourself and your potential is the first and most important steps. And many gurus will tell you, it's about you, not your intelligence, not your background, not your gifts. You've got to start with you and believe in yourself. That's the foundation. Now, this kind of self-belief requires some confidence, some self-confidence that I have the potential. So there's lots of positivity around this religious commitment. The power of positive thoughts about ourselves. And that's where self-esteem comes in. Now, self-esteem, our sense of self-confidence, easily gets knocked, so we have to restore our faith in ourselves. We've got to bring us back to the foundation. Bolster ourselves up again. It's easy to backslide. That's the point. And to lose faith in ourselves. Now, the faith that believes in yourself and your potential is also about projecting it to other people. I believe it, and I want you to see it. We call this self-promotion. So it's important to come across as positive and as competent. There's lots of techniques to help with this. And I would suggest a lot of advertising plays on this need to project our self-belief to others. Last week, I mentioned some strap lines that have culture values. I mentioned Gillette, the razor, the best a man can get. And you watch the advert, and what do the images portray? The self-made man, the successful man, the winner. The same is true of beauty products, how we dress. It's all about how you promote your sense of confidence and self-worth to the world. So that's the first commitment. Faith commitment, you have what it takes. It's in you to reach your full potential. The second commitment is this. Again, by faith alone, you have to create your life by your rules. So everything has to be generated by you from the ground up. So you get to set your life goals. You get to say what your life is for. You have to follow your heart. You have to live your dreams. I love t-shirts. I have a little file, my favorite t-shirts. 
some of them are outrageously funny. This is a good one. T-shirts are great ways to express culture values. Here's the one I loved. Always be yourself, unless you can be Batman. Then, always be Batman. Classic. So it's up to you to decide what success is. You see the finish line you're heading for before anyone else does, and you go for it. And you've got lots of help. If you go to a bookstore, there's thousands, tens of thousands of self-help books. David Allen, Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. Boy, I need that. They're the best sellers to help us achieve, achieve our goals. And then starting from yourself, building from the ground up, you get to decide what is true. Truth isn't outside of you. It's something you build up. It's about your preference. It's true for me. Never mind if it clashes with reality. One of my kids said, it's, it's genuine, Dad. There's a flat earth movement. People believe in a flat earth. I mean, some crazy Christians do, but there's secular people who believe in a flat earth. That's my truth. And then starting from yourself, you also get to name the norms you want to live by. The standards. If believing yourself is a semi-sacred obligation, we're all like a Moses. We can go up our little Sinai and carve out our own Ten Commandments and live by them. The one that suits us best as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. So once you've generated your, your life from the ground up, your goals, your dreams, your truths, your norms, it's up to you then to be true to it all. You've got to be true to yourself and what you're building. Brian Tracy is a massive self-development guru today. And he says the key is to be true to yourself. To be true to the very best that is in you. And to live your life consistent with your highest values and aspirations. So that's the faith that believes in yourself. You rely on you to become the best version of you. And you construct your life from there. What about the faith that believes in Christ? It doesn't look to the self primarily. It looks to Christ. What does that look like? Well, here is where we need to hear the word of Christ. Remember last week, we have to take captive our thoughts to Christ's mind. So we need to hear Christ as we're out in culture. He says to us at every given moment, You have heard that it was said, believe in yourself. But I tell you, believe in me. Look at me. That's what he's saying. So, what does this faith that believe in Christ looks like? Well, it rests, I want to suggest this morning, on two truths that we need to hear. First of all, the thing we really need to grasp is that Christ alone can create the best version of you. You can't create the best version of you. Only Christ can. Now here I want us to focus for a moment on the verses we heard read for us a moment ago. Listen again to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul says to these Christians, You show that you are a letter, not of your self-potential. You are a letter from Christ. 
the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but written with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. God, the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are involved together in making the best version of you. That is what the Salvation Project's about. So it's not through believing in yourself, it's not in realizing your inner inner potential, but being a letter from Christ written by the Spirit of the living God. Now, I think it's important for us to step back and see the context for why Paul's saying all of this. Paul is under pressure, significant pressure, he tells us in the letter, to prove himself to the church at Corinth. Some say he's not very impressive. So his sort of followings are saying, you've got to promote yourself, Paul. That's why Paul says in verse 1, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Now it's interesting, New Testament scholars have quite recently found out that Corinth was the city of self-promotion. We're discovering plaques that have people's name on. If it was mine, my plaque would be, I am Andrew Fellows and I'm the greatest at barbecuing pizza. I actually do barbecue pizza. Plaques all over, self-promoting plaques. Now Paul's saying in these texts, in these, in these verses, I don't need to promote myself. And look where he takes us in verse 4 and 5. Such confidence that we have is through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. I can't claim competence. I can't promote myself. Anything that I have, anything I can do, is not my self-potential realized. It comes from God. So the source of Paul's confidence isn't self-generated esteem or having cheerleaders telling, telling me how wonderful I am. The confidence that is ours, Paul says, is through Christ before God. So in verse 5 he's saying, it's not my potential and competence that has been unlocked in my ministry. It comes from God. He is the source. You see the difference? Paul's confidence, Paul's positive thoughts, not founded on self-belief. He has a totally different foundation. His confidence is in Christ, because that's where his faith is directed. Now, this message is at the very core of the gospel. Because Christ says to you, and he says to me this morning, that the better version of us is in his finished work. So the basis of thinking well of ourselves is not in self-belief. It's in the fact that we are clothed with his goodness and his righteousness. Jesus realizes all his self-potential because he's God. Nothing holds him back. There is no limit. And he becomes man, a human person. And he lives a perfect life. He is what the Bible calls righteous. And the gospel offers that righteousness to us. And we get justified. We don't have to self-justify. We have the justification of Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. And that relieves us of the burden of having to find our potential. I found that that, uh, promotional video rather exhausting. (sighs) Got to find the finish line. Life is tough. 
binary. You're either a success or you're not. It's crushing. Christ says it's a gift. Receive it by faith alone. As believers, we know that the self-belief project is a lie. You know why? Because in Genesis 3, that's exactly the same self-help book that the devil wrote. He went to Eve and he said, you want to be like God? You want to realize all your potential? God doesn't want that for you. I want it for you, the devil says. All you need to do is take a bite. Disaster. If anyone should know the disaster of this project, it's Christians. And the narrative of scripture in Genesis 3. So, that's the first thing. Christ alone is a source of the better version of us. Then secondly, in terms of what it means, this faith in Christ, in terms of the truth it conveys, is that Christ makes us true to his life and his way. If justification actually pronounces the better version of us, following Christ makes us better and according to his way and the path that he has laid down. Listen to how Paul reflects this in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 10 and 11. Paul says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. The Christian says the way that we have to follow is laying ourselves down, in order to follow the way of Christ. And that doesn't devalue the self. It's what we're made for. It elevates us to exactly where we need to be in Christ, following him. So when we live by faith in Christ, we don't live for self-promotion. The very thing Paul keeps critiquing through this letter. Now it's all about Jesus. So look what he says in verse 5. For what we preach is not ourselves. That thing we saw was preaching the self. He says we don't preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for his sake. Because of the light of the gospel that Paul talks about earlier, the light of the gospel which reflects the face of Jesus, we have seen Something that can hold our gaze, keep us fixed. And that's why for the believer, it's about the Christ project. It's all about him. Now, I began with that little video clip that was a promotion of self-belief. I want to finish with a video clip, a clip that's about the promotion of Christ. It's a counterpoint to what we've just said. Some of you may have seen this as part of a sermon that an African-American preacher called Dr. Lockridge gave back in 1976. And I want you to notice this as the counterpoint. It draws our attention away from self to the matchless glory of Jesus. We look at him and we see him for for, for the wonder of who he is. And this will be our lead-in to the Lord's Supper that we'll have in a moment. So let's follow this and look at the wonder and glory of Jesus.
The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him.